We have come as far as verse 20 in chapter 12, where it says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. I want to just look at him. I want to have a meeting with him. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And then again, Andrew and Philip went to tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come, that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered and said unto him, We have heard out of the law of Messiah abides forever. How sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus answered them and said, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. So we have this shifting here in remarkable ways in John's gospel. At the end of verse 19, the Pharisees, religious leaders say, we, we, we haven't accomplished anything. The whole world is going after him. And then when we get to verse 20, it says the Greeks came. How, what a fulfillment of, of what the Pharisees had said. And it said that these Greeks came. So there's a question in 20 to 22, then 23 to 34 to 33. And there's an answer. And then 34 to 36, there's a warning. Um, you think of the scene now. Jesus is saying the hour's come. He's come and he knows the cross is right in front of him. After all that he's been through, the time he spent with these guys, the people he's healed and raised from the dead, 
Now he's come to that very hour. He said, Father, should I pray this be taken? This is the very reason I came. And it says there are certain Greeks that come up that want to see him. These were proselytes of the gate. They are not proselytes of righteousness. Amongst the Jews, you had those that were God seekers, they called them, and they were proselytes of the gate. They came to the Passover. They wanted to worship. They couldn't enter into any of the territory that was specifically marked off for Jews. But the Roman world and the Greek world were producing people that were frustrated in their polytheistic religion. They had everything that would satisfy the flesh, all kinds of sexual things and empty things. And they look at the Jews and the Jews lived by a standard. It was something different. And they said there was one God. So many of them then, you know, start to come up. And at this point, they're saying to Philip, is the Messiah real here? We've heard. We've heard about Palm Sunday. We heard about Lazarus. We're hearing these things. And they say, we, we would see Jesus. So they're not Hellenistic Jews, Jews that speak Greek. They are Greeks, Gentiles. If you were a proselyte of righteousness, you had come to Judaism, you had submitted to the priests, you received circumcision, you went through everything, that, then you were converted to Judaism. These are Greeks, Gentiles, who come to worship the one true God. And they say you know, to Philip, look, can we see Jesus? They've heard. It's an interesting picture. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple... In 1 Kings chapter 8 said, Moreover, concerning a foreigner that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake, for they shall hear of thy great name, and of thy strong hand, and of thy stretched out arm. When he shall come and pray towards this house, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according all that the foreigner calleth on thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name, to fear thee, as do the people of Israel, that they which I have, um, have built this house, which I have built it, may be called by thy name. Solomon says he dedicated the temple. Lord, I know what's going to happen here in the future. Gentiles are going to come. Other people are going to come. They're going to hear about this place. And when they come, if their hearts are sincere, Hear their prayers. Hear the prayers. And we see the picture of that here. Jesus had told his disciples, don't go to anybody but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then in chapter 10, he had told them, but I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And now you think Jesus is, is there. The Jewish leadership is planning to kill him. They want to put him to death. The Jewish people, most of them are not taking hold of who he really is. The disciples are still going to argue over who's the greatest who can sit on his right hand and left hand. They haven't gotten the full picture. And he knows right in front of him, within two days, Passover, crucifixion, resurrection. And within 40 days of that, when Pentecost comes, a little more than 40 days, you have people from all over the world. Peter preaches, they get saved. If I'm going back to their areas all around the Roman world, no doubt Gentiles being converted. You have the Ethiopian eunuch. You have the house of Cornelius. 
You have a great Gentile church at Antioch. Jesus is looking and all of that is right ahead of him and he sees it. And it's almost as though when he hears these Greeks have come, they, they want to see. They went to Philip because Philip is a Greek name. He went to Andrew. Andrew's a Greek name. They thought maybe they'd have some pull there, no doubt. We would see Jesus. And then they come to Jesus and say, Lord, these Greeks are here and they want to see you. And I almost, you almost sense there's a sigh here. It says, Jesus answered them. Now, he's answering his disciples directly and any of the Greeks that are standing there indirectly. And he says some remarkable things. The hour is come. He's just feeling that. The, the, he knows that the Jews are rejecting, but the Gentiles are going to fly into the church. He sees us here this morning. Jesus said, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And even the disciples don't have a grasp on what that really means. Their expectations differ. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now here's one of John's verily, verily. Amen, amen, truly, truly. I say unto you, except. This is the only way it happens. Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now, of course, we know the grain doesn't die. It germinates. But the idea is falling to the ground, going under the ground. He would go in the tomb. And he's the most fruitful kernel of grain there has ever been. Millions of people are going to be benefited by his falling, his crucifixion, his going into the ground. The seed has the principle of life in it. You can have that seed at home. It never expresses what's in there until it gets buried in the ground. And then it germinates and it brings forth its potential And he's saying to us, I believe also this morning, because he's going to say, you know, if you want to serve me, you have to follow me. And following him, putting our footsteps where his footsteps are, you know, there's the crucifixion of the flesh. We don't crucify our flesh to pay for anybody's sins. It's not propitiatory, but to let him live through us. And he's saying here, if you're not willing to do that, you end up alone. You know, people that are willing to lay down their life for Christ. People are willing to love when nobody's loving them back. People that are willing to sacrifice themselves on someone's behalf. Those are not lonely people. He said, if if this wheat is not ready to fall into the ground, it abides alone. Loneliness is a plague in our culture. So he says, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So he that loveth his life, fill on to be fond of life, suki, your soulish life. People that are fond of their soulish life. In this world, they're going to lose it. You can't hold on to it. What are you going to pursue? What are you going to try to satisfy yourself with? What are you going to go out there and take hold of? It all runs through your fingers like mercury. There's no way to hold on to it. 
And he says, people that are fond of their soulish life, they lose it. But people who hate their life, suki, their soulish life in this world, they find it. And look, for you and I as Christians, we should all be fitting into that category now. We hate our life in this world. I mean, I, I don't hate my life in the sense that I'm unthankful. But I look what's happening in the news. I look at the wholesale slaughter of mankind. I look at what they're doing to children in elementary school now. I see statues of Satan going up in elementary school so there can be Satan worship. I see the injustice and the hatred and the prejudice. You look what's going on in the world. And and it's time for you and I to be saying, you know what? I ain't at home. I ain't at home. I do not belong here. I do not belong here. And for you, and I am no longer fond of my life in this world. I have kids. I have grandkids. I'm thinking, Lord, get us out of here. What's going to happen? How much worse will this get? And he says, anybody who does that keeps his life. Different word for life now. Zoe, unto life eternally changes. Anyone who, who keeps this, he, sa- he says... Anybody who hates his life in this world shall keep, that means guard, set a garrison around, shall guard it unto life, Zoe, the principle of life, and that life eternal. So if we, if we guard ourselves, we don't love this world, we realize more and more we're not fitting in. Look, you look at the things going on all over the, the news. My wife yells at me, turn it off. I can't watch the news anymore. And then we put on Hallmark. We can't watch that anymore either. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? You know? Want to watch a football game, you got to turn the commercials off, you know? I love to see grown men brutalizing each other, but that other stuff they put on there is carnal. <laughs> but we should be in that place that we're just disdain life in this world and what it's like. And we're guarding something of true life that's eternal. If any man serve me, it's singular there, any woman, any man, serve me, diakonos, becomes my servant, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So, He moves on, the disdaining of this life and the things, his example of laying down his life. And he says, if any man will serve me, will be serving. The idea is an ongoing thing there. Any man that will be serving me, let him follow. That's an imperative. It's not a choice, not a suggestion. He basically says, if you really want to serve me, and look, you can't say, Lord Jesus as just fire insurance. No man calls him Lord, but by the Spirit, it says. And if you call him Lord, that means you are a servant. If someone's your Lord, you are a servant. And he says that here, if you want to serve me, what's necessary is for you to be where I am. The idea is walking in his footsteps, walking in his footprints, like you see that in the snow, to step where he stepped. 
to follow him in that way. That where I am, there shall also my servant be. That obviously, if we're serving him, we're walking with him, he doesn't make a right and we, took, we make a left. Occasionally we do that in rebellion, I understand. But that's not what we're supposed to do. If we want to be his servants. And look, it's hard to, and John's going to make it harder as we go on here. It's hard to step into his steps. Sometimes somebody cuts you out in traffic. Sometimes somebody threatens you. Sometimes somebody does something completely unjust. And I don't feel like Jesus in that moment. I feel like Gladiator or The Last Samurai or, you know, some of my favorite movies, you know. And yet he's saying in these tense circumstances in life, if you're laying down your life, the thing you need to do if you want to serve me is to step where I step. Make sure your your footprints are on top of my footprints and to follow me. And he says, if any man serves me, will my father honor? That's ahead of us, isn't it? Maybe pretty close to him. The day is going to come. Now, he says, verse 27, is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, uh, save me from this hour. This is the... The very cause that I came into the world. It's so remarkable when when I look at that. You think this is Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. The omnipotent, omniscient one put on human flesh, walks among us. And he says, now is my soul troubled. This is God. Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He says, my soul is troubled. And it's passive there. Trouble has come upon his soul. He was troubled in chapter 11 at the tomb of Lazarus. He's troubled here. In the next chapter, he'll be troubled at the Last Supper when Judas betrays him. It's very interesting to follow this along. But who could think, you know, that's why it says we have a high priest who can be touched with our infirmities. Because the truth is, how many times are we troubled? Every day, I'm just talking about myself. I get it. If, I, if I can't find trouble, I make it. I'm troubled. I'm troubled every day, right? But here's my Savior standing in my skin for me, saying, "Now is my soul troubled." Thinking, Lord, when your soul is troubled, you can go to Him. You're going through agitation, is the sense of it, trouble in your life, and it's come upon you. You haven't brought it on. This passive here has come upon him. Go to him. Go to him. He's touched with our infirmity. He was troubled. To me, that's incredible. He knows the cross is ahead of him. He knows the resurrection is ahead of him. He knows the ascension is ahead of him. He knows the intercession at the right hand of the fathers in heaven. He knows he's returning in glory, you know, to catch the church away and then to rule the world. He knows there's the holy city, Jerusalem, with walls of jewels and streets of gold. He knows all of that. And he's troubled. He's troubled. Now is my soul troubled. What am I supposed to say, Father? You know... Save me from this hour. He said, this is the very reason I came into the world for this particular hour, for the glory that was set before me, endured the cross, despising the shame. So he prays. Now, this is Jesus talking to the Father. Father, glorify thy name. 
then, that's what he's concerned with here. This hour has come. He has to lay down his life. In doing that, there's glory for the Father. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now look, the interesting thing is, the people that are there, the crowd says, some of them say, oh, that was thunder. I guess when God talks, it rumbles a little. Mm, you know. So others said, no, that must have been an angel talking to him. But evidently the disciples heard it because John tells us exactly what the Father said. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. John heard that. And Jesus is going to say, this didn't happen for my sake. This happened for your sake. And as we work our way through the Gospels, there's three times that the Father speaks directly from heaven. At the baptism of Jesus, John the Baptist, baptizing him, a voice comes from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I am already well pleased. Hadn't preached a sermon, hadn't done a miracle. He had worked in a carpenter shop for 30 years. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, Peter, James, and John are there. Moses and Elijah show up. John tells us Peter didn't know what to say, so he said this. It's a good thing we're here. Uh, you know, Moses and Elijah must have gone. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing we're here. Let us build three tabernacles. And then the Shekinah overshadows and the, and, and the voice of God again there says, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. And this is the third time in the Gospels that God actually speaks from heaven it's about his glory. And the voice said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Certainly the crucifixion, the resurrection, the redemption of the world. People, therefore, that were there, they heard it. They said, well, it thundered. Others said, no, no. An angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes, it was audible enough, like when Paul, on the road to Damascus, they hear something, but it's not intelligible. Evidently, the crowd hears something, but the disciples hear distinctly, remarkably. And Jesus says this in verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. So he tells us in this act of obedience, the cross, he says the world will be judged, Satan will be judged, and men will be drawn after me. He puts those things before us. And, and there in, in verse 31, it says now is the judgment of this world. Then it says now Shall the prince of this world be judged? Both of those nows are emphatic. So he, he, says, he sets out that word now and wants us to make it distinct from all other things in his earthly ministry. Now, he says, now, even now, at this very time, now is the judgment of this world. And of course, <clears throat> when Christ died on the cross, the sins of the world were judged upon him. It was the judgment of the world. And the cross was a demonstration of man's hatred toward God and of God's love 
towards men. Both things were demonstrated there remarkably. And now as the prince of this world judged, the idea is now, not, hey, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to rise from the dead, and then I'm going to defeat Satan in these battles all the way up to the end of the age. Those things happen. But what he says is now, at this point, the enemy is defeated. This is what God said to the serpent and to Eve. Now, at this point, when he dies, bears our sins, and Satan thinks he's winning, he's actually destroying himself. Because once our sins were carried by the Messiah, and he rose again from the dead, the enemy has no power. Oh, he intimidates us. He lies to us. But the truth is we're secure. If you've asked Christ to be your savior, we struggle, we mess up sometimes. But if you have trusted Christ with your eternal salvation, the enemy is defeated in your life. And again, people say Satan made me do it. No, he didn't. He's, you know, he's more worried about people with their finger on the nuclear button. Uh, but there's principalities and powers. There's warfare. And he says, all right, that is also being shut down. It's going to be, victory is going to be mine. It says when he ascended in Colossians 2, he, he led principalities and powers in open display that he was victorious over them. So two things he tells us. Now is the judgment of this world on the cross of Christ. The world was judged. That's inclusive, but it's not saying that every human's going to get saved. There was enough accomplished on the cross to save every human that ever lived, but some will reject. doesn't say everyone will accept that, but he says now is this world judged. He's troubled about that. You know, it's just, you know, Isaiah 53, that God will lay on him the iniquity of us all. He's troubled in Gethsemane. He wept, it says, and feared. Because he's about to take my sin on him on the cross. Past, present, and future. Things I'm going to mess up next week. I only say that for your benefit. I ain't messing up. He bore that. We got babies. We got a nursery full of babies. Their sins were paid for before they were born. And they're going to get into their terrible twos and mess up. Their sins are paid for His soul was troubled because of what he was going to bear of our sins, that the Father was going to lay on him the iniquity of us all. But he says in that, now the Father speaks to him, he says, but in this, this world is judged. And the prince of this world is cast out. And I, if I be lifted up, both of those are emphatic. If I, no one else, not Buddha, not Harry Krishna, nobody else. I, it's in fact me, me alone. If I be lifted up, then I alone, me, will draw all, not all men, all to myself. If I be lifted up. You know, because the, the, the thing that's so interesting, I think even in the world we live in, the world hates us. Not because it knows us. It hates us because 
we have these smiles on our face and we sing these songs and we tell people that they're sinners, but there's forgiveness. We tell people there's sin, there's right and wrong, but God has made a way for us to be saved. And they hate us because of that. Because they want to go on loving their life in this world and not admitting their emptiness. But slowly but surely, how many are going to be worn down? How many are going to come? How many will be drawn? It's happening. It will happen until the trumpet blows. And then chapter 7, Revelation, one of the greatest ingatherings in human history there. But If I be lifted up, me, no one else. Look, you're teaching Bible studies. You're preaching. Um, there's no better subject. I, him, if I be lifted up. That's the work. I will draw. You don't have to do it. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. We should tell you the gospel in the center of everything we do. It's interesting this word draw is used six times in the New Testament. It's used five times by John. He had said in chapter six, no man can come to me unless the father draws him. First time he used it, to draw Here, he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. The third time it's used is Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. He drew out his sword and hacked off somebody's ear. But it speaks of a physical action. He drew his sword out. And in chapter 21, it's when Jesus is on the beach and he he has a fire there and they realize who he is. They come in and it says the, the fish in the net was so great that disciples couldn't draw it ashore. But it says Peter went down and drew it in himself. So Peter must have been Arnold Schwarzenegger. He must have been something. You know, the guy you don't want swinging a sword at you. Uh, so, so in these pictures, drawing is not benign. It's not ambivalent. It it takes something. There's an energy to it to draw a sword, to draw huge nets of fish in. And Jesus is more concerned about humans than than a large net of fish. He said, if I be lifted up. Now, the Jews are going to say, Messiah lives forever. What do you mean if you're... So they know he's talking about the cross. Don't let anybody say that isn't what he's talking about here. He said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all, men is in italics, you can cross it out, I will draw all to me in Christ. No racial differences, no religious differences, no social differences, all. He draws all. And I can't wait one step on the other side, one second, and it's all going to be straightened out, isn't it? One second. Imagine what that's going to be like. He said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all unto me. The Greeks are standing there. This he said, signifying what death he should die. And then the people, the Jewish people answered him and said, well, we have heard out of the law that Messiah abides forever. How sayest thou that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Why are you telling us the Son of Man must be crucified? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. So 
speaking of his physical existence here, he said, the light is with you for a while now. A while, that's a limit. And he says, walk while you have the light. Something they understood. He said, because if you try to walk in darkness, there were no street lights. There were no flashlights. You walk down a street in Jerusalem, when the sun went down, it was dark. There might have been a Roman with a torch. That may not have been pleasant either, but it was dark. He said, walk while you have the light. Look, you and I, it tells us in Ephesians, it says there, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. And whatsoever doth make manifest is light. It says for you and I, Anything in our person that comes into the light and is reproved, that's not Satan condemning us. It says that's the light shining on those places in our life that need to change. And if you and I are serving him and following him, we're going to be in the light. And he's changing our lives. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, we're changing. We're changing. So he says to them, look, the the light is with you for a while now. You act like you don't understand what's happening. Walk while you have the light. Because the darkness is going to come. He said, and he that walketh in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. That's the problem with our world today. There's darkness. And behind the immorality and the insanity and the substance abuse, and the hatred, and the prejudice, and war, and image, image bearers slaying image bearer, there's, a, there's someone laughing behind all of that, the prince of this world. There's darkness. The puppet master in all the insanity we see is from the dark side. And that's what's motivating the world around us. We can't lose perspective. We can't forget that. But we have a guarantee that we're going to be out of here, that he's taking care of us, that that can't be reversed. So whatever eats at us or comes upon us, whatever bothers us, look, he was troubled for us. He says here, you know, if you want to serve with me, walk with me, and I'm walking in the light. John tells us that in his first epistle. Walk in the light, it says, as I am in the light. And then we have fellowship one with another. And he says in verse 36, while you have light, believe. Interesting word to put in there. Believe in the light that you might be children of light. This isn't just understand. Believe in the light. Do you? The light that you've received? Do you believe that he was that grain of wheat beyond all of us that fell into the ground that's brought much fruit? Do you believe that if we love our life in this world, we're going to lose it? But if we hate our life in this world, we're going to guard it. We're going to keep it unto life eternal. Do we believe that? We believe that serving him, calling him Lord, if you're going to serve me, then you have to walk with me. Because where I am, that's where my servant's going to be also. And the Father will honor that person. And then, of course, Father, he's troubled. 
What should I do? Say, save me from this hour. The voice comes from heaven. Do you believe that? Anybody? First service, believe this stuff. (laughs) That's because you're in the light. You're in the light. How could you... How could you comprehend this intellectually? It says believe in the light. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the whole man. It's deeper than just your thought patterns. While you have the light, believe in the light. It's an exhortation the way it's written out. While you have the light, the opportunity. Believe in the light that you may be the children of light. And it says... These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. That's not a good translation because it's passive. It says, these things said Jesus. Then it doesn't say, and he did hide himself. It says, and he was hidden, passive, from them. The hand of the Father. It wasn't the moment to be crucified. He had come to the hour. But remarkably, somehow, we see it a number of times here again, He was hidden from their sight. How did that happen? I don't know. There's a day coming we'll we'll know fully even as we've been fully known, but we'll get there. Challenge for all of us, for me, you know, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, I walk around sometimes during the day and and I don't do it, hopefully taking his name in vain, but I'll just say, oh Lord, oh Lord. But when I say that, at the same time I'm saying I'm a servant. If he's my Lord, can't call him Lord, except by the Spirit of God, and that makes us his servant. And then he's telling me, okay, walk with me through this. Here's where I put my feet in the snow here. Put your feet in my footprints. Walk along with me here. And if you do that, my Father will honor you. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to draw all men to me. They won't all accept, but I'm going to draw the world to myself. This world is judged. That's done. It happened on the cross and the resurrection. Prince of this world, judged, driven out. That happened. Crucifixion, resurrection. He has no power in our lives. He can lie to us. In the unbelieving world, he'll have some authority, but it's broken as far as you and I. We have an an eternal inheritance that's secure because he was lifted up. And if we want to serve him and share his love with this unsaved world, he says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them into me. We've got lots of, you know, we can argue about Christmas, is it Saturnalia, you know, you know, all kinds of these arguments, the flood, did it really do it? Just lift up Jesus. Then he does the work. We live in a lost world. Tell them about God's love, what he did on the cross with his son. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. What a wonderful relief that is for us to lift him up, put it all on him, and let him draw. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We settle our hearts. And, Lord, we, we read through these things. I do, Lord. And there's so many salient points here. There's so many places 
where I could sit for the rest of my life. There's so much being said, Lord. But I know you love me, Lord, more than I love my kids, my grandkids. And I know you've called me, Lord, and so do we all. And we think of the empty, dark world around us and people not know where they're going, Lord. And pray that in the time that we have, Lord, we would lift you up, that men would be drawn to you, Lord. We would bring the crucifixion before them in these last hours of human history. Lord, let that happen by the power of your spirit. We do pray in your name. Amen.